Good evening, everyone. For the last month, I've been talking about the different ways that countries have implemented national health delivery systems, whether by directly owning and operating hospitals or just mandating insurance. Of course, the next step after looking at public health in a national scope is to go international. Now, you may recall the last time we talked about international health cooperation back in episode 16. Basically, nothing got done. But after the end of World War II and the formation of the United Nations, there was a renewed interest in international cooperation, and the WHO was founded in 1948. Since then, the WHO has done a lot of good, so let's talk about some of the WHO's greatest hits. The first thing that the WHO takes responsibility for at its founding is the International Classification of Diseases, or ICD for short. This is essentially a system of codes that started off as a way of tracking causes of deaths, but evolved to include any diagnosis, like illnesses or injuries. I know that doesn't sound all that important, maybe as a layman, but having numerical codes for each diagnosis helps with tracking statistics about illnesses, and helps with reviewing medical records too. It's not just an important job, but a fairly complicated one as well. As the years have gone on and medical knowledge has expanded, so too has the ICD code system. Nowadays, in 2020, we're on the 10th version of ICD, which is usually just abbreviated as ICD-10. ICD-10 has about 68,000 codes, which get very, very specific. Some of my favorites include being sucked into a jet engine, being struck by a duck, having problems with in-laws, or even a spacecraft collision. The WHO put together these thousands of codes and is still updating them, too. ICD-11 is in progress as we speak. Moving on from there, in 1969, the World Health Assembly established the first international health regulations, an agreement between WHO member states to work together to monitor and control six serious diseases, which included cholera, plague, yellow fever, smallpox fever, and typhus, all of which have been mentioned on this show at some point or another. These were some of the earliest such efforts, which in later years were expanded to include even more diseases. I think the most impressive achievement of the WHO, though, has to be the eradication and near-eradication of numerous diseases. We've talked about smallpox before on this show and just how terrible it is, which is also why it was a major focus of the WHO. In 1967, the WHO attempted something never attempted before, the complete eradication of a disease. Worldwide immunization and surveillance were conducted for several years. Literally, billions of vaccine doses were produced and distributed across the world. In every country, smallpox was tracked, and wherever new cases broke out, teams would be sent in to quarantine individuals and vaccinate the surrounding community. It took an absurd amount of work, but in just 13 years, smallpox was declared eradicated, the first and so far only disease to be completely eradicated. 13 years! to completely eradicate one of the most deadly diseases known to man. It's pretty crazy. Now, to be fair, smallpox is actually a relatively easy disease to completely eradicate, since it has no other transmission vector, and has clear symptoms, and is scary enough to garner lots of attention. But it's nonetheless an incredible achievement, and I think one of the most profound successes in all of humanity. Other diseases still saw plenty of progress too, though. Many of the diseases targeted by the WHO's efforts are on the brink of extinction, such as polio, which is basically unheard of in large parts of the world now. Malaria, likewise, has been eliminated from Europe, although other regions, of course, still suffer heavily. 
The WHO made so much progress on communicable diseases that in the 2000s they revised their goals to address public health more broadly, including a shift to address more non-communicable diseases like diabetes or cancer. Which is not to say that transmissible diseases are not still a serious threat and being tackled by the WHO. You may remember when the H1N1 swine flu pandemic broke out in 2009. The WHO played a prominent part in working with member states to develop vaccines. In 2014, during the Ebola outbreak in West Africa, the WHO helped to deploy thousands of experts, staff, and plenty of equipment to help stop the outbreak. And of course, if you're listening to this as it's coming out, the WHO has been in the public eye plenty due to its involvement in the current COVID-19 pandemic. Which brings me to some of the problems with the WHO. Criticisms of the WHO vary wildly depending on who you talk to, but I hope to provide a bit of a balanced portrayal as I can give. One issue with the WHO is that it has no official power. Like many international bodies, it cannot legally bind or sanction its members. It's also got a pretty small budget, at around just $2 billion, which, while a lot to a single person, is paltry by governmental standards. For comparison, Johns Hopkins Medicine here in Baltimore had operating expenses of about $7 billion, more than three times what the WHO runs on, and that's just here. More money means more resources, and such a small budget means the WHO has to be very careful about how it spends. Depending on your views, this may be a good or a bad thing, but for sure, it can make the WHO ineffectual. That money also all comes from member states, who may gain influence in the organization depending on how much they're funding it, which is another potential problem. More powerful countries that contribute more, like the US of A, are naturally going to have a bit more sway in the organization. Resource limitations aren't the only thing that can make the WHO ineffective, though. The WHO, while lacking in formal power, can still fairly effectively wield soft authority, basically just pleading and convincing member states to listen to them. In the SARS outbreak, this was fairly effectively done, and if you remember SARS, it was contained pretty quickly, with relatively few deaths. Part of this unofficial authority, though, depends on how willing countries are to listen, and how willing the WHO is to pull out that authority. In recent years, they've been criticized both for doing too much and for not doing enough. Dealing with communicable diseases is hard, as this show should make fairly clear. If you take decisive action against diseases and successfully contain it, then critics might say you acted excessively and it wasn't really necessary. On the other hand, if you don't take decisive action and the disease gets out of control and people get sick and die, then of course, people will say that you could have stopped it. And speaking of stopping diseases, the WHO has caught a lot of flack, especially recently, for its handling of COVID-19. In many ways, this is deserved, but is related to the past issues I was talking about. For example, remember that the WHO has no official legal power to leverage. We know that local officials in China were aware of the first outbreak of COVID-19 for weeks before it was reported to the WHO, and that China, at least to some degree, withheld information from the WHO, which contributed to the slow response. However, the WHO couldn't really do anything about that. Throughout January, China refused to allow WHO teams in, and it wasn't until February that China finally allowed anybody into the country at all, which was a dangerously slow timeline. Even once the WHO declared COVID-19 a pandemic in March, many countries didn't listen to their recommendations. Again, the WHO has no official power. Basically, if member states aren't interested in the WHO, it becomes dead weight, and to some extent there's only so much the WHO itself can do about this. It's not clear how much difference they could have made in the COVID-19 pandemic, 
but its weak response is certainly a factor in how badly things have turned out. So let's wrap up here. The WHO has done incredible things for public health, like wiping out smallpox and nearly wiping out a number of other diseases. But of course, there are issues. They have no real power, and they're reliant on member states for funding and cooperation, which makes it less effective in tackling already difficult problems of public health. Yet it is currently the main way that international health efforts are supposed to be organized, which is a vital part of improving human health. I hope that in this episode I have illustrated some of the nuances surrounding the WHO, even given the short runtime of these episodes. Alright, so that's it for this week. Next week, I think it'll be the last episode of this season, and we'll of course talk about the future of public health. The episode may not actually come out next week, depending on how busy I am with Thanksgiving, but I will do my best. As always, thanks for listening, and if you enjoy what you hear, please tell a friend or tell me, with the links in the show notes. Thanks also to my editor, Jojo Tang, our cover artist, Angie Lee, and Muse Open for this music. Music